and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the sky. Peace and welcome to New Revolutionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is October 26, 2016. We are six weeks into the largest nonviolent prison rebellion in U.S. history and still not a peep from mainstream corporate media or any political candidates. We'll report what we can, like this headline from independent media saying prisoners participating in a strike against slave labor at facilities in Texas, South Carolina, Oregon, and other states are speaking out as authorities allegedly block members of the media from visiting with them and rejected mail from supporters and media organizations containing news from the outside. We're offered our perspective on reviews of the controversial documentary 13th from Ava DuVernay. A couple of what I call hatchet jobs by respected historians have already surfaced. Tonight, we will share an insightful article by Jason Fong and Enamaye Shetiar, titled Jailing the Poor and Releasing the Rich. I was recently honored to be a featured speaker at Chronic 2016, Carolina's Human Rights Organizing Conference. I'll share some of my experiences and insights, and hopefully one or more attendees may call in to do the same. It was indeed historic and powerful. In breaking news, on October 6, 2016, the African American Caucus of SEIU Local 721 in Los Angeles voted unopposed to support the UAW 2865 resolution calling on the AFL-CIO to dismantle or to disaffiliate from the international police unions. This is the second union we heard of who has demanded police unions be removed from the AFL-CIO. We'll explain why this is a powerful move that should be duplicated across the entire AFL-CIO. Then in Columbia, South Carolina, Nick, Governor Nikki Haley urged businesses Monday to hire nonviolent prisoners near release, a step she said would give them a good start toward the second chance. Is that good or bad? We'll talk about it. 
In an article from the Free Thought Project, we find that prison food contractors are being exposed for funding efforts to make sure people are thrown in jail for pot. It should be obvious why, but we'll break it down. Other stories we want to try and cover, if time allows, are a police department busted for a contest to see who could extort the most drivers and arrest the most people. And the Minnesota Department of Corrections terminated the top official at one of the state's largest prisons this week for breaking several policies, including one related to sexual harassment and discrimination. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Reginald Adams, who was exonerated on May 12, 2014, after spending nearly 34 years in a prison for a murder he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. If you'd like to share a comment or question, call call in and join us at one six four one seven one five three six six zero. The access code is 549-032-POUND. If you're already dialed in and you want to ask a question or make a comment, just press star 6 and 1 to queue up. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? What's up, Johanna? Greetings, Max. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. As okay as can be, uh, personally. Um, my wife's away at the moment with my daughter who just had uh, more surgery and now she's on the harder chemo. Uh, it's got about four more months to go with that, so she's in the hospital at, at this moment with her. And uh, I'm here making sure that we can keep this fight going. I uh, had a hell of a weekend just past, man, with the chronic event, uh, Carolina Human Rights Organizing Conference. That was pretty amazing and historic. I'll probably talk about that later, and I think a few of the people who attended will be calling in as well. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I see a number on the board from the 512 area code. I don't know if that's Johanan or not. He usually calls in on a flash phone and it has his name, so I don't know who that is, but we... They're we, probably listening, listening in. I had uh, one friend, at least, one of the organizers okay. called just a little while ago and asked what was the calling number so they could tune in because they're out of state. Okay, but this person is requesting to speak, so... so okay. Um, but okay. Johanan had mentioned earlier that we might have some people calling in from the International Work Workers Organizing Organizing Committee or something like that to talk about the national prison strikes. I, I believe, um, well, I tagged you in that. There's just so much posted on these planning pages that it's easy. I can see that you might miss that as well. So it's pretty much free, uh, free flow tonight. Uh, we'll play it by ear. Uh, still waiting uh, to see if Johanna's going to call in. I wonder if that's Johanna on the five one two. But let let me say well, this: let's, let's give it a shot and find out who it well, is. Well, well, well. Let's go through our regular opening statements, though, as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, let, let's do that. Now, in your opening, you talked about the the uh, prison strike. I'm not sure if it's going into the fourth or fifth week. Um, I think it I think might be the fifth week. Yeah. And but. Um, North Carolina, there was some violence. There was some reported violence at a prison here in North Carolina, and they transferred like 500 prisoners. I posted that in the abolitionist uh, group on btrcommunity.com. I don't know if you had if you saw that story, but there no, was I don't reported think I saw any of them. Yeah, it yeah it was reported violence. And they transferred out like 500 people, but nobody is connecting this to the prison strike. No, nobody on the outside that's been supportive 
of the um, national prison strikes against slavery. So I don't know what's going down at, at this uh, particular prison in North Carolina. I know that they uh, dispersed 500 prisoners to various uh, plantations, and we've seen that um, at home and in other prisons that are participating in the national strike. But in terms of any media, I, I don't think that North Carolina, I've seen any reports about these prisons in North Carolina now. I, I tend to think that there's something going on if you transfer 500 prisoners um, to different places. It can't be just because a prisoner and a staff member got in a fight or something like that because they mentioned that a prisoner and a staff person uh, received non uh, life threatening injuries and, and have been treated at the hospital or what have you uh, but I, I haven't seen anything it, the blackout continues so that is just to me further evidence of the collusion of the media not just in politics in deciding or trying to persuade and influence the masses on who's going to be the next CEO or even capturing a political party's nomination, but to also not inform people about 21st century slavery and human trafficking. They, yeah, sure, they'll put on movies and, and re-air Lincoln and PBS will do these uh, Ken Burns Civil War documentaries but at no time are they telling people that slavery was never actually abolished and sure we'll get to that in the segment that you mentioned about the 13th so I just wanted to mention that since I'm here in North Carolina um, that that uh, did occur that uh, rebellion against prison slavery I'm just going to call it like I see it well that you know that makes all the difference in the world that's what my presentation uh touched upon out in North Carolina as well is to call it what it is um you know this 13th movie that's been out now for several weeks uh there have been people talking about it and one of the things i've noticed is that they find it very difficult to actually accept what the entire premise of it is that the 13th amendment shows that slavery never ended that is connected from 1863 all the way up to right now in 2016 and they briefly show different ways that it's connected and different players that are involved in it i've even read where one person was talking about how um Alec plays such a small role in it all when CCA was a member of Alec for 20 years and literally helping to write our laws. Now, right, that is not right. a small role when a prison company is writing your national and state uh, uh, laws. It's just not a small part. I don't know where he's coming from with that. But yeah, man, it's, yeah, it's been I a feel. lot of uh, people talking, but they find it difficult to face that obvious question. Yeah, they talk around slavery. the word, man. It's like the word that shall not be mentioned, that shall not be spoken, or something like that, man. They they will talk all the circles around slavery, but they'll never actually say the word. Um, we right, do got right. Johanna joining us. There's Johanna. What's going on, brother? Peace, Johanna. Peace, peace. I've been here. Uh, no doubt, uh, you know, y'all started off with uh, with with all the, the things that are, you know, the hot buttons or what have you over the last week or so. Um, as you said, the prison strike still flying under the radar of mainstream media. I actually got a, a, uh, a message. Um, as you were saying, we, we got contacted by um, IWOC, and they agreed to have some representatives come and speak with us so when we get to the point to to let the call in the 512 I, I got a message the 512 area code 
is Azura Crispino with IWOC. So that's uh, one member. We also had word that there may be um, a lawyer from uh, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak of South Carolina, and then also one inside organizer from uh, Flo- uh, Florida, from uh, Free Alabama Movement. So again, like you said, kind of a free flow program, but definitely these are people that will know uh, kind of up-to-date information. One person contacted me and was letting me know that uh, Brother Kinetic Justice, one of the original uh, organizers with the Free Alabama Movement, was moved last week to uh, Limestone Correctional Facility. And this is what we've seen around the country. You know, anyone that's, that's uh, being named as an organizer or even participants in the uh, in the strikes are being shuffled around. So, I mean, it's plantation politics, plantation moves, just like they made, you know, back in the day, separating entire families, and now even people that are inside the prisons, the prison plantations, the families that they've established and the groups that they've become parts of, splitting that up too. Yeah, it's very much uh, both reminiscent of the 1800s and what they did to family members who uh, were, too, you know, too desirable of freedom. And then again, also of the civil rights movement and the Black Panthers, what they did to the Black Panthers as they tried to organize. So right, political prisoners. I'm glad got- that they're all calling in. We also have the callers calling in from uh, Carolina Human Rights Conference. So this is going to be a very um, uh, powerful episode of New Abolitionist Radio. I suspect we may have to forego some of our stories in favor of actual people talking about Let this. me, let so me, Max... Also- if I may, let me give out the name of the North Carolina uh, prison slave plantation. It is Noose. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I remember reporting this on BTR News. And I was like, Noose? You know, come on. Wow. Noose. But it's spelled, N- wow. it's spelled N-E-U-S-E. So I will presume to pronounce that as Noose. And it's the Noose Correctional Institution. And it is located in Goldsboro, North Carolina, Goldsboro, North Carolina. It's located at 701 Stevens Mill Road, Goldsboro, North Carolina, and that's in the 27530 zip code. So I wanted to give out that that name of that institution. Again, 500 prisoners reportedly from a local uh, paper. I think it was W. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here when I pulled up news. Uh, Yeah, 500 inmates quote-unquote, evacuated from News Correctional Institution after two injured. So, two people get injured, you evacuate 500 inmates. No, I I, I think something else is going on. Just trying to get some news. Go ahead, Max. Sorry. Oh, no, that's it, man. We're about 15, 16 minutes into the program now. If you want, we can check with that call and uh, then we'll, you know, try to fit our stories in where we can. Okay, Eric Cole, five one two. You are on New Abolitionist <laughs> Radio with this Max. This is Azura Crispino. I am the media co-chair for the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. I'm really interested in this news out of North Carolina. One of the things that has obviously been a struggle is to get adequate and accurate information about who's striking and what's really going on. So it's possible that these brothers and sisters are in solidarity with the strike and that they're getting repression because of the strike and that we're just now hearing about it. Um, I'm definitely asking some folks to look into it and get back to me, hopefully maybe even within this prog- through, 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 program. 
Well, that would be great if we could find out while we're here on the air. Uh, it would be fantastic so we can share the news with everybody. And, that, and we're very glad that we could give you some information that you might be able to use. We're trying to keep track of this as much as we can possibly do, uh, just like you are. But, you know, communications are difficult at this time, particularly with them uh, preventing communications from coming into the prisons now. You know, South Carolina was on lockdown as well. Yes, and we actually received news that inmates in South Carolina were getting pulled from their cells and interviewed by feds in the last yes. 48 hours. We checked the website for the prisons in South Carolina and found that they have an actual link right there on the front page to report cell phones or people communicating outside with illegal contraband. That's how serious they're taking this. So if I'm not mistaken, she said the feds, right? So that's the Obama administration. That's CEO of USA Inc., Barack Hussein Obama, Loretta Lynch. They are the people who head these departments. I think it's also another proxy racist over there at the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So um, I'm just saying that because as I was engineering the cold breakers last night, they were analyzing a recent speech the CEO gave on the campaign trail for Miss Hillary Rodden, Rodden Clinton. And he mentioned his legacy. If you want to see his legacy continue. Well, we're looking at his legacy, the largest prison uh, rebellion against slavery in U.S. history. And it, he hasn't uttered not one word about it. You know, I, I do want to say once again, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, uh, Azura Cristino. Is that pronounced properly? Cristino. Uh, all right. Well, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. We appreciate you being here. You know, I've been uh, blessed to meet some of your members out in Missouri at the Missouri Cure Conference where uh, the IWW declared themselves an abolitionist group as well, which is a wonderful thing uh, for me to be able to witness and from the very beginning we've been talking about this as prison slave labor the prisoners are both saying that we're saying that uh, many have been quoting the 13th amendment to show the smoking gun which allows it to be legal and uh, even people like Sean King have come out and told millions the same thing and yet we find ourselves in a position where the media will not say anything about it and none of the candidates I do believe that uh, it may be possible that Jill Stein might have said she stood with them at one point, but I, I'm not sure. I haven't seen any links. Well, the IWW doesn't engage in electoral politics, so it would probably be best if I didn't comment on whether a politician has endorsed the strike or not. Um, but I think in terms of why the candidates aren't speaking about it, obviously Trump isn't interested in fixing the problem. And Hillary Clinton, I think, doesn't want to deal with the legacy of Bill Clinton's presidency and how the three strikes you're out rule, which was written by Alex, um, led to mass incarceration and just the way that the Clinton administration really expanded and profited from prison slave labor. So it's not in either of their interests to be talking about this strike. And I think that may potentially explain why there has been such a media blackout. Um, you know, for example, the New York Times ran an editorial talking about why they hadn't covered it, and they claimed that two journalists had been assigned to the story and that they were going to do a piece once they were able to fact check. And I can tell you that nobody from the New York Times has requested an interview of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee of the IWW or any of our coalition partners that we know of. 
and I wrote to that editor saying, look, you know, I'm happy to grant you an interview. Here's my cell phone number. Call me. And I received an automated reply and then nothing. So it's kind of interesting, but I would rather be focusing on what the prisoners are doing versus talking about the lack of mainstream media coverage because we know where their pocketbooks and alliances lie. And this is precisely why we need independent media like your radio show to be able to give prisoners and outside organizers a voice to talk about the strike. Well, um, indeed, I, I'm in agreement with you, but expressing about why the mainstream media will not play as you did so eloquently is very helpful to those who wonder, uh, and you clearly laid it out why they don't want to do that. And it's a good thing that there are independent media, but we also find that Russia has been in the sisters too. I think they did an interview with your group at one point, right, RT uh, TV? Russia today has covered us. RT has covered us from the beginning. The BBC has given us a lot of coverage, so has The Guardian. Um, I did an interview as far away as Iran and New Zealand in terms of radio. Um, we've had some coverage from Australian media, so that's been kind of interesting too. But the BBC and The Guardian have been very solid in giving us coverage. Fantastic. With all of these things coming together, it looks like we may see some results. We talked last night or last week here on the program about how much money was being lost per day out in California alone by estimates that we found. I believe it was like nearly three-quarters of a million dollars a day, 600-something thousand, which was the first thing that we had heard of what type of economic uh, effects it was having on the prisons themselves. Uh, and as it grows, I believe that there's another one scheduled uh, to join in on this prison labor work strike? Well, that's kind of hard to know. At this point, a lot of the work stoppages have switched to different tactics. So, for example, in South Carolina, jailhouse lawyers speak were on work stoppages for three weeks, and they've decided to switch their attention to a march on Washington, which is the Millions for Prisoners March, which is to take place on August 19th of 2017, and that's calling for the abolishment of the 13th Amendment um, and an end to slavery. Oh so that's really interesting, and I would encourage everybody to reach out and support. Jill House Lawyer Speak has been really adamant that everybody who is into ending slavery and abolishing prisons, that this march is for all of y'all, as we say down south. So, um, just want to make sure to get a good shout out to them about that. Um, there are still several facilities where hunger strikes are ongoing. I think the two most important to talk about are Wapan unit in Wisconsin. Their dying to live has been on hunger strike for now more than 100 days. I think they're closer to 120. Um, the guards there are encouraging inmates to sexually and physically assault one of the inmates who is stri hunger striking. Um, their single demand is an end to solitary confinement past the year, which is certainly reasonable. Um, and they're facing a lot of repression. So I would encourage people to go to tinyurl.com slash phone zap. And there's information there on how to call in and stand in solidarity with all the prisoners who are facing repression at Kinross in Michigan. Would you repeat Lapan that, please? Wisconsin, tinyurl.com slash 
phone zap. That's tinyurl.com slash And, you know, we also have a website that's tinyurl.com slash strike tracking, which will give you an up-to-date list of all the units that we know of where strike action occurred or is suspected. And if you're interested in helping us to update that with the North Carolina news, um, we would absolutely love to hear it. There's also a tinyurl.com slash solidarity letter for writing letters to people who are facing repression. Um, but going back on the hunger strike, let me not forget Merced in California. But this is a county jail, right? Pre-trial detention facility. These people have not been convicted of a crime. And they have been on hunger strike. They started off on September 9th. They were going to pause. They paused for a little bit. They're back on. Um, it's not just the inmates striking. It's also the partner of one of the inmates who's hunger striking on the outside. They have a series of demands. Um, the most interesting conjunction of them is that they're asking for the firing of Lieutenant Moore, who's a particularly sadistic guard. They're asking for an end to solitary confinement for juveniles who are being held in this facility. Yes, we are torturing children in this country. And then they have some demands regarding conditions. Okay, so they issued those demands as grievances to Merced County Jail. And what did Merced do? They put Lieutenant Moore in charge of answering their grievances. And it's just ridiculous, the answers that he's given. One of the grievances is that they're not getting a 2,000-calorie diet. And his response was, this complaint doesn't list a date on which the offenders claim that they were not given a 2,000-calorie diet. Because I'm sure it only happened on one day that people would hunger strike over lack of food. Wow. You said so uh, clearly before they are dying to live and uh, doing so so that they might be recognized as humans and receive the same rights that humans are entitled to and that citizens of the United States are entitled to. And also we're shining a bright light on the 13th Amendment, its exception clause for prisoners and how modern-day slavery and human trafficking works. Amazing. Well, uh, we've got about a minute before our break. Uh, Scott, do you want to take it now and then come back and, and continue from there? Um, actually, we, we we got about five minutes, so if Johanna want to jump in there, give him an opportunity, um, we got about five more minutes. Okay, sure. sure. Uh, again, this is Johanna, so I just want to thank you for coming on and uh, appreciate what you had to say, you know, to this point and, and just having – you know, I feel like you all's position, maybe being one of the the types of guests we have that come in that's even closer to the fire, you know, than maybe we are with all the research we're doing, all the contacts we try to reach out and make and, and find out information and share that with as many people as possible. I really appreciate the fact that, that you all, you know, at least in my opinion, appear to be even even closer to the live action and talking to these people and knowing, you know, when calls to action go out, when people are in different situations and, and really putting it on the line. So I just want to thank you and thank the the uh, coalition for the work that you all do. Uh, one of the last things you mentioned, though, with uh, Merced brought to mind Santa Clara County. They also joined in the strike. Yeah. And I don't know if you had That's any true. details on how, how they were able to bring that uh, to an end. The only headlines I saw and the information I saw on the end of it just said that they met with officials after some of their complaints were 
were uh, were being met with. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I believe Cole Dorsey is going to be joining us a little bit later, and he is in California and has a little bit more information with Santa Clara. But if I recall correctly, they are back on hunger strike. Okay, I can believe that because what I when I saw it, it didn't ring as being is um, being genuine and. There were a couple of things on the list that came out with, you know, uh, solitary confinement was definitely the, the one of the main issues. But, you know, knowing overall private prisons, federal prisons, states, county jails, all of these things have the same in common health care issues. I believe Santa Clara County has had several deaths in custody over the last couple of years. Uh, again, the nutrition, uh, you know, not feeding people right, the health care problems, the solitary. I mean, these are all issues that I know uh, that, that law enforcement is I mean, this would have to be a, an almost like an outlier situation for them to actually go in and, and adhere to these people's demands. So I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't turn around and go right back on strike, too. Well, and definitely when we come back on break, I, from break, I want to talk to you about what happened in Kinross in Michigan, because there we just got news very recently that prison officials initially said that there would be no reprisals from strikes and then ended up engaging in some of the worst brutality and repression in relation to the strikes that we saw across the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to throw in some new information that I just received. Uh, uh, according to Fox News, the Justice Department is planning on releasing some 6,000 6, inmates from federal prisons beginning at the end of the month as part of a new sentencing guideline for drug crimes established last year. I uh, just want to let you know that. And also to uh, keep in mind that we release about 650,000 people every year, which comes up to about 1,800 every day. So 6,000 compared to that does not seem like a lot. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here with Max Parpis, Scotty Reed, Johanna and Elia. We'll be right back after these messages. Since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're here with Sister Azura from the IWW's Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Um, hope I got all that right. <laughs> and we're discussing this prison labor work strike, which has been going on now. Is it going into the sixth week now? Since September 9th. What's today's date? <laughs> September 9th. Six, 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 September 9th. And uh, please remind the listeners here, because we do also do have an international audience, so this uh, other nations that are listening in on a regular basis, uh, please tell them about the significance of the September 9th uh, and why it was started then. Sure. So, complete history lesson. 
brother George Jackson had called for a national and international prisoner strike and a labor union that would back it. And after he was assassinated, the prisoners of Attica mourned him, and then they took action by taking over their unit. And for five days, they had taken some guards as hostages and had completely taken over the unit. They had a council, they issued some demands, and then um, Governor Rockefeller and President Nixon sent in the National Guard, and they were mowed down. Many of them were tortured before they were killed. Um, overall, 39 prisoners and six guards, I believe, lost their lives. And the prisoners were blamed for those deaths, even though they were not responsible. And this is a moment that has really remained in the history of prison resistance. I think almost all prisoners are familiar with September 9th. You know, for example, Chelsea Manning kicked off her hunger strike asking for gender dysphoria treatment on September 9th. Now, we're almost certain that she had no idea that the rest of the country and several other countries actually, because prisoners in Mexico as well as Greece joined in on the strike, that um, all of these other prisoners were striking as well. We think that she just independently picked that date. But, um, you know, it, it is a beautiful feeling to know that we are finally putting into action at least a little bit, right? Because um, it was 23, 24 states that ultimately we believe had strike action. But nevertheless, we're carrying forward that legacy of Brother George Jackson, which is just awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. It's incredible. It's, uh, you know, I believe this in the speaking things into existence and that we can all do that. And when we start talking about things in unison, you start seeing it manifest. And we've been talking about a uh, prison strike like this now for several years here. And it's, it's beautiful to see someone actually bringing it to fruition like that. We have to work together inside and out because uh, we too often forget the people who go through these processing plants called courts with their 95% plea bargain rate, which violates the Sixth Amendment, and then forget them. It's as if they go into these cells and they no longer matter in our minds. Even in the Black Lives Matter movement, I have had to try to keep that at the forefront of their consciousness. Uh, and often, too often, also too often, we will even blame our own family members for being the ones who are wrong when they are not necessarily the ones who are wrong. This is something that's happening to them that they don't have much control over. And for the first time in uh, almost 100, well, since in 45 years, we are trying to get some control over our own lives and freedom. Amen. <laughs> Well, I shared a story uh, on New Abolitionist Radio for our readers who follow us in both uh, the radio program and on the website uh, that talks about the Attica uprising uh, she was referring to. Where do we go from here, and uh, what is it that anybody can do to help other than inform those on the inside that this is going down and they should participate? Well, at this point, we like I was saying earlier, we desperately need repression response support because, like you were saying, leaders or perceived strike leaders have been thrown in solitary confinement. They're getting moved to new units. Um, they're having their security levels increase. Like you were saying, kinetic justice was moved.
Uh, did we lose her or me? No, it's showing her still on the We're line. Still... Maybe breaking up. <clears throat> At any yeah. rate, um, <clears throat> I think something she wanted to mention too until she gets back on. Um, uh, Kentuck Prison um, having uh, one of the, the largest, uh, I guess, reprisals you'd call it. And that was, I believe we mentioned that last week's program when we first got news as far as the uh, prisoners being separated. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they had gone and uh, sat out on the yard, uh, maybe even marched or refused to, to, to uh, go to their, you know, labor, to their jobs or what have you. And then when it, when the uh, staff agreed to hear out their concerns, of course they were lying. Um, and then in the aftermath, split everybody up and, and started shipping people off and, and, and punishing people for participating in in the strike. So, I mean, again, we've seen a nationwide effect, um, regardless of those very specific details at that prison, but across the country. I mean, this is Washington State. We know California, as was mentioned, um, Texas, North Carolina, Louisiana, South Carolina. Um, uh, I saw some information that I was still investigating from Cook County Jail. I mean, this is something that that we haven't seen since the the years of the Attica uprising. Honestly, we haven't seen you know the same type of of threat to the mainstream narrative. You know, the grassroots uprising enough to to create a change in this the narrative of. I mean, at some point they will have to report on this news. At some point, people will have to know this is going on. Oh yes, uh, and it's usually going to happen. Why when you say that, shit. though, Johan? And why you say at some point they're going to have to? They don't have to do a damn thing, man. They still ain't telling the truth about a number of things, so they don't. They don't have, have to. to. Spin on it yet? Yeah, they don't. I mean, they don't have to mention it, and I don't think they're ever going to mention it. As far as these prison slavery rebellions goes, they don't exist. Now they know about them. Of course, they know about them. When you have local papers like, for example, in uh, reporting on the News Correctional Institution, WRAL.com is a widely read um, uh, publication in North Carolina, based in North Carolina. So, I mean, there has been what we would call on a local level maybe mainstream coverage, but, but when I say corporate coverage i'm talking about your david muir's or on abc world news tonight um right you know right. those type of programs the joy reads they not even brought her in for right. a five little little five minute segment to talk about i know she knows about it because i'll tag her in in some other tweets so, oh yeah they yeah. they are they all a lot of them know about it because exactly that you know tagging them in the stories and and, the, and so forth uh the reason i say that I believe they will come to a point where there's no choice. Um, they will have to report because I believe that this is the groundswell, the return of true grassroots, not the uh, the the corporate co-opted, not the half measure version that we've seen in this last generation. I don't believe that there's been true grassroots uprising since the the, the assassination era since the, the, the years of getting rid of all of our what became political prisoners, since those 40 and 50 year time periods that these people have been locked up, you know, we're seeing several of them come home, the ones that are still alive and I mean 
the people that are reporting on this now, the people like us and these different groups that are talking about this, as she said, they're getting several interviews. We're bringing in people. We're doing this. We're seeing it on that's Twitter. True. We're seeing it on social media. Otherwise, right, that's true. I believe that the grassroots is enough power coming out of it now and, to control, even with the 13th movie. Yeah, but uh, Johanna, what about also, like Max mentioned, and we may have our, our guest caller back, but Max mentioned that last week we talked about the economic impact by prisoners refusing to work. The economic impact. So when 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 shipments don't start being met, you know, their expected date of delivery and things of that nature, when Walmart and corporations like that that utilize prison uh, uh, labor like that, when when their operations start filling the crunch and what and it's costing them money. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, that will push some movement, and I'm talking beyond just corporate coverage. But what's way yeah. it will go is uh, they could get worse. You know, it could just get they just really start clamping down in the most brutal, violent fashion that they're known for in the history. So, do we have uh, right. um, our our guests back? Still not able to hear her. I'm seeing some audio coming off her line. I think you have me muted. Can you hear me now? Can hear you now? Yeah, I've been hearing you all. No, we did not have you muted. I muted you and unmuted you to see if that would restore your audio. So yeah, we're used to this sort of interference on this network. So please continue. (laughs) Indeed, expect interference on this network. (laughs) You know, so like we were talking about with kinetic. you know, and I think he's been one of the most powerful voices of the movement. Um, and it should be mentioned that the Alabama movement reached out to the industrial workers of the world. And that is how the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee was formed. And I just want to talk about the labor union part of this for a second. So any prisoner can join the IWW, and they come in as Sector 613, prison labor, regardless of whether they have a prison job or not, they don't have to pay union dues in order to join, and then when they get out, they're they're members of the IWW like they were when they were in, they vote on all of the things that every other IWW member votes on, and it's been really interesting to me because I was having a conversation with a prisoner in Virginia, he had called in to let us know that there had been a hunger strike at Red Onion Creek Unit, and there were 17 guys that had participated in this Supermax unit. And I asked him to identify himself so that I could verify, um, in case it was necessary, that the strike had occurred. And he gave me his IWW number and said, you know, I'm fellow worker number X, blah, 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 sector 613. And I realized that part of what we're doing is giving prisoners a different number to identify themselves by that's not their slave number, and that they can participate in a democratic process, right? Felons aren't allowed to vote in this rigged election process that we have, but they can vote for IWW, general, you know, the GEB, and IWAC, and all of these other organizational um, leadership positions. Right, in the same way that I fill out my IWW ballot, they fill out their IWW ballot. And I think that's really cool to be talking about it from the perspective of this is not just any other organization. This is a labor union that's doing that. Yes. 
uh, I just shared on our webpage there also for our listeners an uh, interview with Brother Kinetic from Vice News uh, as the person who launched this. And it definitely uh, much, much love and prayers to that brother that uh, has risked his life and his freedom even more so to be able to make this happen and inspired a movement across the country. We, we were planning on sharing stories tonight uh, about the other uh, union involvements with not just the prisons but also with the police where we have several unions now calling uh, for separation from the uh, police unions away from the AFL-CIO. Uh, the first one would be the African American Caucus and the Latino Caucus of SEIU, Local 721 in Los Angeles. Um, and the other one would be the United Auto Workers, Local 2865. I think that this is a movement that is growing and all of these different avenues of attack are available to us because the prisons are just a part of modern slavery and human trafficking. It's a very large part, very horrible part, but there are other uh, areas that need to be focused on simultaneously. Like nobody walks into prison on their own. You know what I mean? There's somebody putting them in there. And today alone, 13,000 people went into jails. Well, let me let me ask let me let me ask before uh, before we move too far. You wanted to tell us uh, when we came back from the break, and then we kind of lost you with the audio um, about uh, the the story out of Washington. Um, did you still want to try to share? Michigan. Michigan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was no saying worries. Washington. I mean, there's a different story out of Washington, but let's start with Michigan. So we just got word, um, and this is available on itsgoingdown.org, but we received a letter from our brother Gilbert Morales at Kinross that prior to the strike, the prisoners had told prison officials that they were planning on work stopping and that they were planning on keeping that work stoppage peaceful, which it should be mentioned, not all prisoners have. And I walk is okay with that. You know, we recognize that people have to struggle in ways that those of us who are on the outside might not necessarily um, understand or, you know, that we ourselves might not use. Let me put it that way, right? That we can understand even if we don't share them. On this anyway, program, uh, we call it death by a thousand paper cuts. Come on. They fought a civil <laughs> war to quote unquote end slavery in 1865 when we found out that was a lie so I am not opposed to any means of resistance to slavery I just wanted to point out because at the top of the hour you had said that it had been nonviolent, and the incarcerated workers organizing right. didn't vote to be by any means necessary right. I'm personally a pacifist but I support whatever people on the inside need to do anyway in Kinross we now know that prison officials had told them Go ahead and strike. We will not retaliate against you. So 400 to 500 prisoners not only went on a total work stoppage, right? No prisoner showed up to their prison job that day. But they actually marched around the yard, 500 of them. And then the warden or the deputy warden, we're not sure, one of the two of them came out and addressed the prisoners and basically said, okay, of the demands that we can meet, we will. The ones that we can't meet, we will take to the legislature. So the prisoners went back to their bunks, went into the showers, and then what we hear is that armed in a SWAT-style setup, 
soldiers, guards, however you want to describe them, went in and dragged these men naked out of the shower, zip-tied their hands behind their backs, and left them in the courtyard in the rain for six hours to soil themselves because they had no access to the bathroom. Roughly 150 of them were subsequently shipped to other units. Many, we suspect, have been placed in solitary confinement for their roles in the strike. And this was at a unit where prison officials had talked with the prisoners in advance and had agreed that there would be no reprisal. They tear gassed these guys, and then some of them obviously started reacting and engaged in some property destruction. I think a laundry machine was thrown through a window. And then these prison officials had the audacity to claim that the reason why they had to send in this SWAT team effectively was because of the property destruction that the prisoners had engaged in, never mind that that property destruction did not occur until after the SWAT team went in. Wow. Wow. It's anything yeah. Well, in addition to that, I mean, it's saying nonviolent, um, the prison officials feeling the need to to say that there was some justification. Of course, they would do that. But also, you know, that surrounding this, uh, there's been at least three deaths that we know that have occurred during the same timeline that the strike even began, and those appear to be uh, violent or at least negligent means that those folks. I believe one was a taser involved um, and another that was definitely a medical neglect I, I believe they had called 911 and it just, yeah so I mean I believe that's you would consider murder or you know allowing these people to die or, or violating them torturing them something to killing them would be violence towards them absolutely well the terrible condition that we find ourselves in is human lives on the line. Literally, people are risking their lives, uh, hoping that in sometime in the near future we can prevent others from going through the same thing. Uh, the, some of the stories we've heard about and read about here and reported on New Abolitionist Radio are outrageous. It's not just the men's prisons, but the women's prisons. Like what was occurring in Tutwiler's prison for women uh, in Alabama was just beyond belief where the guards, at least half of them, have already admitted that they were uh, extorting the women for uh, sexual favors, you know, trading in their uh, sexual favors for products that they would need to use, and just, just terrible conditions. And from what I understand, I don't know of any convictions yet that happened there or any major changes. And that's just an example of just one prison. And honestly, we hear reports of that in women's prisons all the time. Women having sex with guards and trade for makeup or food or just protection. Um, or, you know, obviously sexual assault of women, especially trans women who are being held in men's prisons. That's very dangerous. Um, you know, and we've seen some pretty brutal repression of female prisoners inside activists who have gone on strike. In Washington State, for example, there were three women who peacefully did not show up to their prison library job, and they were placed in solitary confinement immediately in retaliation for their unwillingness to work. 
and also they're going to be stripped of those jobs when they get out of solitary. Well, hopefully we can make a change in all of this and get enough awareness going on. I'm glad all of these things are occurring simultaneously. Uh, every 50 years, it seems like we go through these same fights. But I figure, and the way I'm looking at it as an abolitionist, is this time around, at least we know what we're dealing with. Um, this is slavery by another name. Just as the documentary has shown, it's connected directly to the 13th Amendment, just as the 13th has shown. And uh, it is a direct relative, the expansion of what was known as convict leasing, which became a replacement for slavery. Where, um, and we're back in full circle now because when convict leasing came into play, the individual could not purchase or own or buy people, but the state could. And now with prisons using uh, the stock exchange to you know trade across there internationally, you can literally own people simply by buying stock in prisons and jails. Not to mention, I think in Texas, um, it is still legal to engage in convict leasing for small businesses. I'm not sure whether a private individual can, but for example, the British petroleum oil spill, most of the cleanup for that was done by prisoners. And yes. One thing people need to understand is that when prisons are, prisoners are hired to do this kind of labor, right? I mean, they're not hired because they don't count as employees. When they're forced to do this kind of labor, they are not given the same environmental protections and safety protections that an employee would. So, for example, I was speaking with some prisoners in Missouri who were telling me that their laundry facility takes in laundry from a local hospital. And I asked them, okay, well, you know, if your brothers are washing sheets and uniforms that are coming in from a hospital that probably have urine or blood on them, are they being outfitted with gloves or anything to prevent them from getting hepatitis C or HIV? And, of course, they're not being given those protections because we don't require prisons to give hepatitis C treatment to prisoners, never mind that it's an endemic problem you know, we have a plague on prisoners when it comes to hepatitis C, but as we've seen from Mumia Abul-Jamal and so many other prisoners, a quick shout out to my friend, Chicano anarchist, Shanak Lealvaro Luna Hernandez, he's been fighting to get hepatitis C treatment, and so many other prisoners, when we know that there is treatment available to them. I spoke to the first prisoner in Nevada who received hepatitis C treatment. She is now completely cured but her treatment costs a million dollars, and so Nevada is only willing to treat five prisoners a year. Never mind, they've probably got, you know, 15,000 that are hepatitis C positive. You're talking about the evils of uh, a me medical apartheid right there through capitalism. Wow. Well, anything that you uh, can can give us or give the listeners as far as I mean, that's one of my main things is, is I'm always trying to find out, you know, what can we share with people? What can we tell? Because we're kind of in a, in a position where we're, we're locked into researching on our own and then reporting what we find. But we've got you with us, you know, knowing what you know, knowing the contacts you have, people on the inside, people in the struggle. What can you give us or give the, the listeners? What do we need to do this just the next week get something done? Then, right. Uh, tinyurl.com phone zap. Yes. Tinyurl.com phone zap. Tinyurl.com solidarity letters. 
that's going to give you a list of all the people who are facing repression and are asking to get mail and are willing to be on a list. We know other prisoners, for example, out of the Kinross situation that are asking, please do not put us on a solidarity list because we're afraid that that's going to cause us even further retaliation. So the people that you're seeing there are a fraction of the people who are getting retaliated against. They're the ones that just have already been labeled as strike leaders, so there's no point to them even trying to hide it. But it makes a huge difference when you send a letter or a postcard to a prisoner. We ask, please don't, don't talk about September 9th. Don't talk about anything controversial. Even if you just say, brother or sister, I love you, I'm thinking of you. The fact that they're getting mail is support. And the guards right. know that this means that people on the outside are looking out for them. Like, one other story I want to tell you about is Malik Washington in Texas. He was one of the leaders behind the April strike. Now, in his unit in Cofield in Texas, they did not strike because the guards told them two days in advance of September 9th, we know what's going on, and anybody who even thinks about striking, we're going to retaliate against so hard you won't know what hit you. And so they decided to sit this one out. Nevertheless, Malik was charged with inciting a riot, which he is deeply committed to nonviolence. Of all the prisoners that I know and support, he is the least likely to engage in a riot. Nevertheless, they used that as an excuse to throw him in solitary confinement in administrative segregation, right? So they've given that now as a permanent designation for him, and they moved him to a new unit. So in that situation when you're moved, you often lose all your property. So if you have people that you have been writing to, you might have lost all those addresses. You may not have access to your commissary to be able to buy envelopes and stamps and paper. So in that situation, it's so important to send a letter, a postcard especially, because that's a picture. You know, if somebody's now finding themselves yet again in solitary confinement or for the first time, a postcard can be something to stare at for two or three days even that's not for gray walls. That can literally make the difference between your sanity cracking faster or slower. It's just one postcard from somebody out there saying, I know what you did, I'm proud of you, I'm standing with you even if you don't put that in words because you don't want to get them in trouble. Right, right. You know, I'm a student of history, and I tend to believe that history is a synonym and that it's the same crap smelled differently. And this reminds me very much <laughs> what we're doing right now. <laughs> Just saying, poetic license. This reminds me very much of what we're doing right now of the Coal Creek War, which happened in the 1890s, 1891 and 92, where coal miners in Tennessee, which is now the home of the largest private prison company in the world, um, CCA, but coal miners in Tennessee literally led an armed rebellion against convict leasing, which ended up with dozens of people killed and uh, militiamen killed, and many of the convicts were freed during that time. So it, it, this very much reminds me of what happened then, and I'm going to look into the response of that and kind of see in advance where we'll be heading with this, because like I said, history tends to repeat. Well, and what I'm excited about, honestly, is also how much outside support there has been. 
I think maybe that is a new, well, I shouldn't say that, because obviously history does repeat itself, and there were outside organizers that were supporting the Attica uprising. But on September 9th, there were 60 solidarity actions that occurred across the United States on the outside, and more than six countries had solidarity demonstrations. Greece had both. They had both a work stoppage on the inside and uh, actions outside of that unit, as well as they've had some actions at companies that use prison slave labor. And that's another thing that we should talk about, is that if you go to boycott.com, there is a list of all the companies that use slave labor, prison slave labor. And you can go and very easily throw together two or three of your friends, go in there, do a mic check, do a noise demonstration, and shame these people into no longer using slave labor. You know, whether it's AT&T using prisoners on their call centers, um, Victoria's Secret, you know, Whole Foods used to sell tilapia that was raised by prisoners, and they were shamed, as far as I understand anyway, into no longer doing that. So there are so many ways that people can take action. You know, when we saw people outside of the United States doing demonstrations at U.S. embassies, that's extremely powerful. Um, so for your international listeners, I would suggest do a noise demonstration at a U.S. embassy or at a company that uses slave labor or otherwise organize a letter writing campaign. And if you do an event, please take a picture, do a write-up, and send it in to itsgoingdown.org because they've been basically our hub of receiving all of these actions. And then when I go and give interviews to the mainstream media, I can say, look, there were some of the actions that happened in solidarity at the end of October, or there were this many things that were done on the outside, because it's so much easier for us to get accurate reporting of what happened on the outside versus what happened on the inside. But it all helps to get the word out and to have those conversations. You know, if we're going to abolish prisons, and we are going to abolish prisons, and we're going to do this in my lifetime, or I'm going to die trying, the only way that we're going to do it is one person at a time, one cell block at a time, one city block at a time, right? We have to take care of ourselves and each other. I personally think that also includes not calling the police, but I'm saying that as a private individual. Um, you know, for us to be working on horizontal mutual aid so that we're not relying on this system that ultimately brutalizes and oppresses so many people. Indeed, you're absolutely right. Uh, Scotty, we're at the 904 uh, point. Do you want to take a break and see if any of our other callers have uh, ch want to chime in? Uh, most certainly. I was just All queuing right. up everything. And uh, if we have any callers on the line, uh, anybody that uh, represents any other organizations that uh, we hope will be able to call in, the telephone number again is 641 715 3660. The participant code is 549032-POUND. And just hit star 61. If you're already on the board, just hit star 61. That'll put you into the caller's queue. We'll be back on the other side. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network.
what we're doing right now. This is what they don't want to happen. They don't want us to use these cell phones to expose the reality of what's actually going on in these prisons. They don't want us to expose the conditions. On September 9th, 24,000 inmates across the U.S. launched what they say is the largest prison strike in the nation's history, protesting poor living conditions and forced labor. We spoke to Benu Hannibal, an organizer who is currently in solitary confinement. Though his prison has not gone on strike, he's used a smuggled phone to inspire prisoners across the country to take action. Things that are going on in the prison systems around the country today, that's why there's so many people who are losing their lives, so many people being beaten uh, in these prisons. The conditions are so bad because they have to break us down to the point where we become tools and objects of control and no longer identify with our humanity. But what these cell phones do, they allow us to have a voice. They allow us to straighten the record out. Of, uh, they allow us to, to film and capture police brutality. Can you tell me a bit more about the current strike going on that started on September 9th? What inspired Free Alabama Movement to get involved, and how did you build that from the ground up? We connected from our social media platform, which we have a YouTube channel, we have Instagram, we have a website, we have Facebook. All those platforms allowed us to connect with different people and different organizers really all around the world. What does prison labor look like across the state of Alabama? We have a multi-million dollar plant down at Holman. They have a metal fab plant where they sell different types of metal products. Uh, they have a furniture plant. Uh, we have a recycling plant. They have a, a cattle ranch. And are prisoners in Alabama paid at all? They have what they call ACI Industries. That's Alabama Correctional Industries. And the pay scale in the ACI is from 17 cents an hour to 71 cents an hour. How many hours a day do you think the average prisoner is working? In Alabama, they have two shifts. We work two 12-hour shifts. So they're working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Has there been additional retaliation against you, any of the other prisoners who've been involved in the strike? They put me on total isolation. I've been on an isolation cell now. I can't get a shave and haircut. That's why I look so rough. They won't let me go in the exercise yard. They won't let me be around anybody, talk to anybody. Um, they've locked up several more people who were organizing here. The national strike has slowed down from prisons in 24 states to only 11, as staff retaliation and the use of solitary confinement disrupts progress. According to Bennu's organization, the Free Alabama Movement, prisoners are now focused on the next phase of the fight, organizing a boycott of the companies benefiting from their work, a list that includes big names like McDonald's, Walmart, and AT&T. You know, there's no doubt that it's slavery. You know, they can call it corrections, they can call it prisons, uh, but you have to call it what it is. And it's slave. It's enslaving. And people are being locked up uh, solely for the purpose of us being able to work for whoever the private corporation that needs the labor. Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project. 
a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. Tuned in to Black Talk Radio, new black media for the new millennium. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. You heard uh, Brother Kinetic there on the interview and saying it in clear, concise terms that we have to change our mind. We got to look at this in a different light. This, you can't reform a crime against humanity, and that's what we're seeing here, which is modern-day slavery and human trafficking. It's crime against humanity, and you can no more reform that than you can reform murder or rape or terrorism. Max, just so to let you call. know, we uh, do have a caller. Indeed. Uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. State your name, where you're calling from, and your question or comment. Yes, this is Jersey Girl coming, calling from Jersey. Very, very explosive program this evening. Is the young lady still on, on, online there with you guys? Yes, ma'am. Okay, did you mention boycott.com is where you can find a list of uh, companies using prison uh, uh, slave, slave labor? I believe so, but I'm not in front of a computer. Does that website not work? No, no, I just, I wrote it down real quickly, and I just wanted to confirm it, basically. Yes, so it's boycott.com, and there should be a specific link for the prison labor strike boycott. Um, And they have the most comprehensive list. Ma'am, I wrote an article for soulcity.com, that's a listler, and if you go to that site which um, the article is something like five reasons you should support the prison strike. There, it has links to every article that we could find that talks about prison labor and who you should boycott. And I would take it one step further. I think that boycotting is not enough. What I would like to see people do is organize demonstrations at these sale points for these companies, because I think that that's far more effective than versus just a regular boycott. So obviously, any way that you can help, we appreciate. Right now, you said the second one. You wrote an article. What was that again? D- Doyle, what? Soul, S O U L. Oh, Soul. Okay. C I T I. Dot com. Okay, I'm sorry. I love your commercial that that was yourself doing that commercial, correct? Or or intro that just came on. It, it was on for about three minutes, talking about. Was that was that you interviewing the the young guy there at the prison? Oh no, that was I believe uh, Antonia Hayden of Vice News. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. It sounded like your voice. That's why I was saying. <laughs> sound like you that were asking. That sounded a lot like me when I was on the phone with her. <laughs> okay, but it's, it's great that it you're doing this. And like I said, um, this has been a great informative show. I, I'm going to definitely have to go back and and listen to the podcast over. But continue as you may. Thank you so much. Uh, let Thank me put on some information right, her, uh, right quick. I need to get some clarification. About- 
Um, I went to boycott.com and it is being sabotaged. That is the correct. No, no, Scotty. What? This, this is it. I got it. It's it's uh, www.buycott.com. So Bicot. it's like Bicot. It's Bicot. Bicot. Okay. Okay. Great, great, and great. I, I shared the link on the New Abolitionist Radio Twitter page, NAR in Slavery, um, the link to, the, to join the campaign, and then there's a link also showing they've got 46 companies listed in alphabetical order that are companies to avoid that they know are benefiting from or using slave labor. So it's by it's by cod B U Y C O T T dot com. I've also shared a couple of links there so people can see uh the majority of companies that are using prison slave labor and they've broken it up by areas like banks, energy and producers of oil, energy producers utilities, insurance, pharmaceuticals, manufacturing, telecommunications, transportation, other US companies and organizations and associations. That's all listed there. Yes. So you go through it. Max. Uh and a couple of other articles as yeah, well that shows you who's using what. Max, you yeah, know you said, often um, um Often we talk about the historical context of, of slavery in this country, although slavery's been worldwide, but in this particular country or this land mass, we always discuss it in the historical context going back to the colonial days and the passage of the slave codes and that just persisting all the way up to 2016. Okay, so, but in the historical context, I'm speaking, this is a black radio station, uh, our primary uh, demographic or audience are black people and so when we talk about slavery in past tense which is historically incorrect um, we what would we have been doing even if we were free if we were uh, what was the guy's name that got kidnapped seven years of slave what was his name yeah, Solomon Northrup. You know, there were free black people, half a million in 1850 listed in the census. And I just wonder if they had conversations, I'm sure the abolitionists did, but if the general population who were buying goods, utilizing services that was produced by what? So in more ways, that's passive support, I feel like, I, I don't know, passive support of Slavery. So when we talk about AT&T, I remember I did the little uh, two-minute uh, commentary on the uh, CEO of AT&T talking about some Black Lives Matter. But you kidnapping, you part of the reason why Black Lives are being being um, kidnapped from Black communities to go to work for you in on on the prison plantation when you go fi- try to find a job that same person go file an application or well those jobs are nowhere to be found so i just wanted to point that out in, in a historical context is that when we continue to invest in when we continue to shop at and, and i understand if you're in 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 nowhere usa and there's only a Walmart within 100 miles. So I understand if you have to go. But when you have a choice, we're going to have to start making hard choices or else we are supporting slavery. Thank you for letting me go on my little rant there. I have a quick for the, the lady. Is it possible? I have a whole bunch of greeting cards I was going to sew out. <laughs> I mean, just so many greeting cards. I had. I inherited them. Um, I inherited them. And it's so funny how you said to send some cards out. We don't have to put our address on there if we don't want to. Or, or is that important because you said something about the guards looking at the mail or something like that or what? So, ma'am, 
if I can switch hats for a second, I also work with Prison Abolition Prisoner Solidarity, and we have an address that anyone can use to write to a prisoner. Okay. So if you email us at iHeart, like, you know, a heart love, H-E-A-R-T-P-A-T-S, mm -hmm. at gmail.com, we would be happy to provide you with our address so that if prisoners write you back, then we will forward you a scanned copy of their letter so that you can continue a back-and-forth correspondence. If you just want to send in one letter and not necessarily hear anything back, some prisons will allow you to send it in without a return address, but some will throw it away if you don't have a return address. So okay. we would suggest using the PAPS address or if there's an IWOC chapter near you that you can join um, or, you know, another organization. But we would suggest having a return address, and then if you don't want to hear back from the prisoner, just tell them, you know, I'm just sending you some love, but I'm a little busy, can't have a correspondent. Or if you do want to have a back and forth, then go ahead and kind of just tell them, you know, I might be able to write you once in a blue moon or I'm going to write you back next week. Just set expectations. That's really important. And just a quick reminder, don't talk about anything illegal because the guards will be reading it. Right. It's just a bunch of thank you cards and things like that, a card just to say that, you know, we out here are thinking about you, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. Thank you so much. Keep up the good thank work. Thank you for calling in. You're welcome. So I did want to let y'all know that I just got a quick update from a dear friend in South Carolina asking, because um, I had asked about what was going on in North Carolina, and this is what he had to say about those guys, uh, the 500 inmates at Noose. He said, yes, they burnt it down, but no, it's not related. Prisoners are just set up at their condition. So not necessarily politically organizing around the strike, just engaged in a pretty massive disruption. Nevertheless, we still send out solidarity to them, and we are happy to have them join us at a later time if they were to so wish. Well, I think they've already joined without even realizing it. <laughs> you know, everything that's going on right now is the result of, including this entire movement, is the result of prison, slave labor, and slavery in general. So everything that's happening right now is because of that. The labor, I mean, the conditions they live in are the same conditions basically that in Alabama where it's 200% occupancy is going on or in California where 155% occupancy is going on and places like Texas where we reported on where they had uh, a prison built for 700 holding nearly 3,000 living in tents on the outside throughout all of the weather right plantation uprisings well, I just want to say to people here in North Carolina that participate in the people activity area of politics, the polls are open and Governor McCory has to go along with the rest of the racist, repressive Nazis uh, calling themselves Republicans in this state. Uh, Scotty, do we have anyone else on the line at, at the moment? Um, we have plenty of people on the line, but nobody who has hit star 6-1 to enter themselves in the caller's queue. Right. Hit star 6-1 and one if you want to be a part of the conversation or you have a comment or something to say. Thank you, Jersey Girl, for calling in. 
and I'm still waiting to take you up on that invitation to come down to my home state and, and do some speaking. So contact me when you get an opportunity, and let's talk about that. Um, I would like to share some of the other stories that are going on, uh, unless you gentlemen have any uh, further uh, questions or if you, Sister Azura, would like to uh, offer some more information at this time. I just want to talk a little bit about demands because demands have varied from state to state and in certain cases even from unit to unit. But there are some general themes. We've talked a lot about the 13th Amendment and ending slavery, ending prison slavery. Um, I don't think we've talked enough about how much solitary confinement or administrative segregation is torture. Shanakli Alvaro Luna Hernandez, who I just mentioned a little earlier, he's been in solitary confinement for 14 years. He did eight years in solitary confinement after he was involved in some strikes in Texas in 1978, but he's not alone. Albert Woodfox did 43 years in solitary confinement, and when I try to wrap my head around that, I just can't. I, I just can't. Yeah, they let him out so, days before he passed away. Just no, you're days. thinking of the other Angola three. Albert Woodfox is... Oh, oh yes, yes. I'm thinking of Herman Wallace. I'm sorry. Um, right. But so I think that's really important to remember. Solitary confinement is torture. It's torture. It's torture. It's torture. It's wrong. We need to abolish this practice. Um, the medical neglect we've spoken about some. I don't think we've talked enough about just how horrible the conditions are in terms of toxic moles. Um, my friend in South Carolina was telling me that he put a letter on his bed and the letter started molding, the paper just started molding because there's so much mold in his unit. And when the inspectors are supposed to come through, they'll set prisoners to repainting everything so that the mold won't be visible. Roaches, maggots in the food, rats in the kitchen, and just around in units. This is common practice. Guard brutality, huge issue. Another thing we haven't talked about is good time pay. Like in Texas, prisoners aren't required to be paid at all. So you might say, why bother showing up to work? Well, first of all, if you don't, they'll throw you in solitary. But secondly, they dangle this carrot of good time pay in front of you. And they say, hey, if you show up to your job, we'll take this many days off your sentence. But then when you come up for parole, the parole board doesn't have to honor that. And we all know that the parole board is racist. So Malik Washington, who I was telling you about earlier, including his good time, he has served 100% of his sentence. They're still refusing to let him out. Well, rest assured that here at New Abolitionist Radio, this is all we talk about. So we cover these things. We have reported on the stories of the maggots in the food. Uh, we talk about the conditions, the health care, and lack of health care. We reported on Herman Wallace and our Brother Woodfox as well here on a regular basis we talk about those things so if you can't hear it anywhere else rest assured that you've been hearing it here at New Abolitionist Radio not only today but on a regular basis and also make sure that you keep up to date with the August 19, 2017 March on Washington and uh, I'll tell you why I feel like some kind of way about that personally later it's based on a dream I once had and just hearing that that's going to happen uh, kind of shook me and uh, I'll tell you about that later if given time uh, make sure you visit tinyurl.com phone slash phone zap, phone zap and also slash strike tracking if you have any stories or news to update um, what's going on with the, the strike 
and do what you can about getting this Lieutenant Moore fired. Is it Lieutenant Moore that you said? Azura? Uh, I think we may have lost it. Or yeah. lost it. Yeah, okay. It's going yeah, down, guys. Keep up the date. Keep up the date. I want to say thank you for uh, being here today and representing and explaining everything that's going on. It is indeed a powerful show. And it's not over yet. we still got about 35 minutes left and some serious information to drop on you. Uh, if you brothers want to start with anything in particular, uh, otherwise. Well, she mentioned the, uh, the conditions in the prisons, and I don't know if, if regular listeners remember uh, a while back, we reported on on a situation in Pennsylvania, uh, SCI Fayette, where they were talking about the coal ash plant, this yards, hundreds of yards away from the prison, and the, the cancer rates in the prison. So we know the environmental concerns. You mm-hmm. know, like she was saying, the mold inside the prison, toxic waste dump outside the prison, uh, water conditions, food conditions. There was one story that was in the planning page. And I don't know if we'll be able to get into it, but it may be a, a decent segue talking about Food Services of America um, and how they're actually lobbying to, uh, right. to combat marijuana legalization. Yeah, because I just mentioned, yes. Johanna, for the people who participate in politics, if you don't, I'm not trying to recruit you. Um, but I do see how if you ignore any area, if particularly that particular area, when I see that companies – are spending tens of thousands, hundred geo group dropped a uh, hundred and fifty thousand dollars on the election to put out some ads and what have you. So that is is very important. So why is this food service company? How much Johanna did they uh, donate? Um, tell us about that. Well, this is a story from Mint Press News uh, that that I was reading. I don't know if this is the exact same link we had in the in the planning. So, if there's another one, maybe there's even more information. Um, but this is saying that uh, Marijuana.com reported that the company donated eighty thousand dollars to campaign commit to a campaign committee that was opposing the legal cannabis measure on Arizona's November ballot. And if you remember last week, we closed out the program talking about I mentioned nine states that it's on the ballot this year for regular, whether it's total legalization or decriminalization um, or whether it's for medical purposes only, there's nine states where this is going down. So uh, here it is, this um, Food Services America is donating $80,000 to a campaign committee that's opposing legalizing cannabis in Arizona. Um, it says Services Group of America has been criticized in the past for providing food to prisons that failed to meet basic nutritional requirements. The report also indicated that the Arizona State Chamber of Commerce contributed $498,000 to the same campaign week. Jeez. The effort also received a half-million-dollar donation from opioid maker Insys Therapeutics, as well as a sizable contribution from various players in the alcohol industry. So this is what we're telling you all the time. These people get together. Okay, the police enforce policy. The policy is being handed to the lawmakers by corporations. So you making a vote for an individual that has been presented to you without attaching a demand to your vote is a requirement for receiving your vote. And voting strictly along the lines of lesser of two evil or strictly Democrat or strictly Republican, 
all of these things are helping to collapse any kind of healthy function of the system. All of those ways of participating are ways to hamstring the system. You have to produce a candidate, you have to support a candidate, you have to get in front of a candidate with your demands and make sure you got a guarantee exactly. that in exchange for my vote, you will support this. When you don't do anything but just go and vote, these people have already rigged the election before you get to the voting booth. But in, in terms of what we're talking about here, those, what did you say, nine states? I know um, California is it has total legalization. In those states where you can put ballot initiatives, where abolitionists can put things to counter the drug war, because all of those companies you mentioned profit from the drug war. They profit from cannabis users being in prison and what have you and, and keeping keeping things the way that they are. So when uh, citizens are able, and that's organizations pooling resources, working together, people gathering signatures, that whole process of just getting a measure on the ballot, such as cannabis legalization, which has shown in states like Colorado and Washington to have tremendously harmed the the revenue of the uh, system of yes. slavery. And so, so this is where I feel like if you don't go to register to vote for nothing else, it's just for things like this. You know, there are other reasons, but again, I feel like the CEO of USA Inc. is already predetermined. Certainly, the I, you know, I talk about how the corporations try to influence that whole, well, do influence that whole process. So I don't even want to get talk about that circus, but if you are in those states where that's on on the ballot, why do you think these people are dumping tens of thousands of dollars in the focus groups to come up with ads, 30-second ads, one-minute ads to, to show you on television to persuade you to vote against legalization? So definitely get informed and get involved because that does inflict serious uh, harm on the system of, of slavery in reducing the amount of victims they take in. There's a part of that the article that Johanna was reading uh, towards the end uh, from John B Vibes, who wrote it, and it says this has nothing to do with cleaning up the streets and making our society safer. It has it's all about money and control. The prison system, as it stands now, does not make our society any safer but instead turns average nonviolent offenders into hardened criminals by exposing them to such harsh environment. The sad truth is that is the way our prison system has been structured has actually outlawed more than half of the U.S. population. Nonviolent offenders have no place behind bars. The savage conditions of prisons will turn most people into violent offenders once they get out, which is exactly what the prison establishment wants. Return customers. Man. Well, I can give you the I can give them to you right quick. The states uh, we've got Arkansas, Arizona, obviously as we're talking about Arizona, um, but uh, Arkansas, Arizona, uh, California is going for uh, full legalization because they've been having medical. Uh, Florida is in there, Maine, Massachusetts, Montana, Nevada, and North Dakota. So these are all places where, again, I mean, as we're telling you the the highlights of this particular story what's going on, the mechanics of who's opposing it, 
and what's happening uh, politically kind of that people don't maybe don't realize what they're up against these same trends will occur in all these states Colorado uh, kind of being at the forefront of, of this over the last couple of years we talked about the billions of dollars that they generated in tax in taxable revenue off of having the decriminalization movement now that offsets to some extent the municipal fines and fees that were generated in these different locales I'm sure but look at a city like New York City where we reported on that they generated nearly two billion dollars in municipal fines fees 595 million dollars in traffic tickets alone so places where this is the lifeblood of of city funding and, and the, the base of city funding when you're looking at trying to make that transition to decriminalization a lot of these players that have their roots deep in the, the the policing and the criminalization of people and like we talk about 12 million people going in and out of jails every year the bail systems this is what we're talking about the actual manifestation of it the real the, what do they say the rubber meeting the road of people you know your neighbors your friends people in your family maybe your children maybe your own self looking at I've got 10 more years till retirement this is going to mess up my entire life I'll work for so-and-so company. I work in this part of the slavery system. I never thought it was slavery, but this is what I've been feeding my family with for 25 years. I've only got 10 more years to go. These are the kinds of conflicts that it's going to cause individuals on a massive scale in this country to finally let go of slavery. It's just no way around it. You know, when you say that, that reminds me of an interview that I it went well, but I don't think that person liked that interview when I found out that their background, I'm not going to call them out, but they'll never be back on this station, but um, this person retired from a California prison system and, and what have you, and there are certain people like that that want to profit from it. They look at it as a new business venture, and I'm talking about black people, talking about black business building, and you want to involve yourself in modern day slavery and human trafficking but that kind of it just really offended me as an abolitionist I was like you must have not did any research on me or the program or the network you would have known I was an abolitionist and why would you think nothing was wrong with with you know drawing a pension from from slavery and you don't seem to be repenting about it or uh, abolitionist yourself. It's not like you came to the light after 30 years and now you're abolitionist. No, you 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 still trapped in it just making profit off of bodies. You don't care. Scotty, for what it's worth, uh, our, our caller is still on the line. She, uh, We've been communicating through the chat box. I don't know what happened with the audio the last time, if it was some kind of way that it cleared her or, or got her on. I, I know it I, I guess it would be, you know, as respectful as possible to at least give her an opportunity to, to say goodbye. I'd hate for it to be yes, so abrupt. Yeah, there is something going on with her line because she's been unmuted the whole time. So Try to mute and unmute again. Maybe that'll do it. Yeah. He just said, did I come back on? Yes, you did. You're back again. Here so, you are. If y'all don't mind me moving the direction in a little bit of a different conversation, I feel like the reason why we haven't abolished prisons yet is that we don't know what to do instead. And my day job is that I'm an associate professor of philosophy. I teach ethics at the local community college. And in January, I'm taking a paper to the American Philosophical Association that's talking about sexual assault 
and restorative justice and transformative justice. And the reason I'm really passionate about this issue is that I really think that we have this idea that the only way that we can keep the community safe from rapists or murderers or child molesters is to lock them up. And I can sit here and tell you all day long that that doesn't work, that rapists will eventually leave prison. When they're in prison, they're most likely going to assault other inmates, especially queer and trans inmates. And then they're going to come out of prison worse for wear, and they're going to continue to potentially be a menace to the community. And then instead, we need to focus on rehabilitation. But I think until we really start practicing transformative justice processes and really creating alternatives, people who are listening to this are going to say, yes, prisons are evil, but if somebody is assaulting me, I'm still going to call the police and I'm still going to want that person incarcerated. And I've been very public. I'm, I'm a sexual assault survivor. I've been very public about saying I would not send my rapist to prison because I don't think that it serves them. I don't think it serves the community. And that ultimately this is a system that has to be dismantled. But I think we really need to talk about what alternatives would look like, whether that's rehabilitative centers. I've heard in Canada, for example, they have a farm for people who are both um, have engaged in child molestation and are cognitively impaired. And basically these guys work on this farm. There are psychologists and other people who work with them to help rehabilitate them but they're not allowed to leave the farm on their own. If they go into town, they have to be escorted in order to make sure that they're not around children. But, but excuse me if I may really interrupt just a second. Yeah, if I think that's a good alternative, but it's still confinement. So that's not really abolishing prisons. And, and, I, and there is a fracture in the abolitionist movement. Some people are not willing to go that far. For example, if I came into the house and my daughter or someone was being raped, um, I'm not going to have to call the police because I'm going to be calling the coroner. Because uh, that's how I'm going to react to coming upon a crime uh, against humanity being committed in, in the process of that. But I, I do agree with you that that would be better than what they have now, a farm. But that's still, I just want to make the distinction that that's still confinement. So maybe people who have not mentally been able to say, oh, well, we need to get rid of these prison plantations. Well, a farm where you have freedom to move around and, and you know, it's more conducive to your mental health, where you can have mental health professionals helping you get rehabilitated. But again, that's still confinement. I understand that. And you know, and by the way, in, in terms of the vigilante justice, um, there was a shotgun in the room. I could have taken his life. I chose not to. Well, that's Obviously, not vigilante that's justice. That's with. protecting um, my family. I don't see that as being a vigilante. How do I know that person might then kill me if I, um, you know, so I, I understand passive. If no, you're I pacifist and you don't want to take a person's life. I didn't mean it as yeah. a slur. I just meant, you know, in terms of taking justice into your own hands. And like I said, I don't judge anybody for whatever they have to do to protect themselves or anybody else. That's just not how I am. But I do think that we need to talk in terms of what would rehabilitation look like. And like you were just pointing out, we need to talk about it in ways that don't lead to gulags by any other name. So I get really concerned when people say, well, instead of having prisons, we should have state mental hospitals for the criminally insane. Well, if that turns out to be a prison 
where the guards are called nurses, I'm not down. But I do think that having rehabilitative communities where people are otherwise able to live a normal life can potentially be an alternative. And I want to see us as human people explore alternatives to incarceration because we know this system isn't working. But I think the reason we haven't scrapped it and replaced it with something else is that we're currently lacking in the imagination of what to do instead. You know, and I share your concern. Like, a lot of people are pushing for ankle monitors as a way of keeping child molesters away from children. I'm not sure that that's not an extension of the slavery system myself. So I absolutely do share a lot of your concerns here. But at the same time, I would much rather see a system that is focused on rehabilitation, where people are able to come together, live in a community, live a normal life, versus a situation where they're being brutalized on the current slave plantations that we have. That needs to end. Well, we do have some distinctive differences, I think, in prison abolition and in slavery abolition. With us, we see the prisons themselves as part of the overall problem, a major part indeed, and at the very top of our list is freeing the innocents Millions, 24 million a year go through this system every year. And of the 2.5 million in the prisons, we estimate at least 1.5 million of them should not even be there. So we have to take, we're taking those things into consideration. And how do we rebuild their lives? How do we compensate them? How do we rebuild the communities that they came from that were decimated by their loss of being there in the family structure? Uh, how do we uh, come back from all of that as part of our process? And also we know that we have to attack this beast from many different areas, whether it be the political arena, the prison arena, uh, the judicial arena, or even uh, the vigilantes that are out there doing that. That's why we find it very difficult to you know, dismiss anything at this point, because these are all people fighting for their literal lives. Some of them are dying to live. So there are some differences, but I think that we all agree that this has got to end which is why I'm hoping to start an org- organizing a abolitionist summit where the focus, the only topic there is abolition in regards to what's going on with our criminal justice system and these slave plantations and get a bunch of us together and start formulating real plans on how we can get this done. We've got a can few things already happening. Please, please, like, can I come? <laughs> you have an open invitation. Representatives of the IWW indeed have an open invitation. We're just going to need us to get together to help put this, uh, to make this thing happen. I can't do it by myself, so we're going to need assistance from every angle at this point. But we need to get together as a body and form something that will make a change. We're already moving in those directions with the uh initiative on the Colorado ballot, for instance, that takes out their exception clause. So different things like that will make a major difference in combination with what we're already doing. This is the time for it to happen, and this thing has to end. So I think you're in agreement with me on everything I said pretty much. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I think that we need to talk about it in terms of phases. So certainly decarceration and depopulation, I think, is a good first step. You know, one of the things that's come out of Free Alabama Movement is that they put together a freedom bill. Now, that freedom bill is a decarceration bill. It would end slavery in Alabama. It would still leave prisons um, 
understanding to a certain extent. But I think that it's a great first step, and I would really like to see the Alabama legislature take it up, and really for similar bills to be taken up in other states. I think that we need to explore all options. You know, so for people who are engaged in theft or property destruction, I think we need to be talking about restorative justice. Let's have those people work for the people that they harmed in terms of taking their property or damaging their property or working to restore it in some way. I think in terms of violent crimes, we need to be talking about transformative justice. What does that look like to, you know, because obviously I can't be restored to what I, the person I might have been had this never happened to me. But we can transform the situation in some way. And I think that focusing on those types of mechanisms, and they might have to be very different for um, different relationships and different situations, but um, there's a really good paper that came out in the 70s called um, Conflicts of Property. And the major argument that Niels Christie makes is that the state appropriates our conflicts, that instead of helping us to figure out how to resolve our conflicts amongst ourselves, it takes over the conflict, right? When you go to court, it's the state versus the person who harmed you, not you and this other person coming together to try to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it, or even the person who suffered to be able to say, no, this is what I want and need, and to be front and center. So we really need to be thinking in terms of completely different systems for dealing with these kinds of atrocities that mm -hmm. can help to keep people safe, to make sure that victims heal, and that also recognize that perpetrators may themselves have been victims of violence that they never healed from, and hence were unable to then act in the right way. And I'm not saying that everybody who's a victim of violence goes on to perpetrate violence. I certainly have not. But I do think that sometimes people don't know how to deal with what happened to them, and unfortunately, it means that they pay it forward. And we as a community need to figure out how to train people in nonviolent conflict resolution, nonviolent communication. Um, I just did a workshop with my students this week on sexual consent. We played different games that help to highlight what really fantastic consent practices look like. And part of the reason that I do that is explicitly as rape prevention. I think we need to be talking about this stuff in middle school, you know, in terms of how to resolve conflicts for ourselves. But unfortunately, the state wants to infantilize us. So they don't want us resolving our own conflicts because then we're not going to be calling the cops. We'll recognize that we don't need the courts, and then we won't need them. And that's not what they want, but that's what's in our best interest. And I think that's what we need to do in order to abolish prison. I'm, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that, as I said earlier, as an abolitionist movement now, we need to start providing our own platforms. We should even have our own party for 2020. Uh, we are presently grooming a number of people who are running as we speak, who are officers like Congress and city council and mayor, and we have done so for the past few years. We really need to make this our primary focus. When we're talking about 24 million bodies being affected every single year, that is a crime against humanity that needs to be addressed at the top of everyone's list. Not second in the row, not after climate change, not after the economy, not after the garbage men and when they show up, but at the very top of the list. And if you're in a political structure and you're not concerned with how many millions of our family members are being decimated and how much our communities are being destroyed, 
then you got no business claiming to be representing anyone in that community. Max, to your point, as we get ready to wrap it up, as our schedule change, uh, we picked up a new program on the network on Wednesday. So we do need to forego uh, some of our regular segments. I will just say the abolitionists in profile for today on October the 26th, 2016, on this Wednesday night on New Abolitionist Radio is all of the participants, whether they on the inside or the outside of the National Prison Strike. This is historical, so you are abolitionists in profile um, for tonight. So then we want to go into some final comments. Um, information um, that our guests would like to put out, give out, always give out those websites and, and contact. I was hoping to get an opportunity sometime during the night, but it doesn't look like it's going to do that to talk about what we just experienced at the South Carolina Human Rights Convention, CARDIC 2016, which was extremely uh, powerful. And, and, and I believe that many things will come from this. But I guess I'll forego that, and we'll talk about it next week. I think that some of the how about this, how about this, Max? How about you be a guest on Black Talk Radio News on Friday to talk about that? I'd love to have you. As that a guest. would be fabulous, Scotty. Uh, God willing, we'll make that happen then. So if you want to know what happened at Chronic 2016, check out Black Talk Radio News on the Black Talk Radio Network dot com this Friday at 4 p.m. and I'll, I'll be there. So to my people at Chronic 2016. Uh, make it make the date. Uh, if I guess would like to give final comments and contact information, I hope that the um, authorities have not muted you again. So let me. <laughs> okay, there you go. So tinyurl.com phone zap, tinyurl.com solidarity letters, tinyurl.com strike tracking. Also, supportprisonerresistance.net, itsgoingdown.org, iwalk.noblogs.org. You can follow us on Twitter at IWW underscore IWOC. You can get in touch with us on Facebook. You can email us at IWOC at riseup.net. For those who are incarcerated, you can mail us, and where did I put that address? Um, the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. Well, we can probably tweet that out at you a little bit later. Um, if you know anybody who is incarcerated, as a quick reminder, any of them can join the Industrial Workers of the World for free without having to pay any union dues. Um, so we certainly encourage everybody to get involved in terms of supporting against repression. Um, also, you know, if your local newspaper or nearby magazine has not written about the strike, consider writing a letter to the editor or otherwise pressuring them to cover it. Because I'm still talking to so many people who are pretty woke, but nevertheless tell me I had no idea that there was a prison strike going on. So we need everybody to pitch in to get the word out. You know, you're standing in line at the grocery store, ask the person in front of you, hey, did you hear about the prison strike? 
great suggestion and and thank you again and certainly we will stay in touch with your organization as a network because we have plenty of programs and if y'all can provide uh, the speakers we would love to have that type of relationship because media is the most powerful entity on face of the planet as our elder uh, ancestor Malcolm X uh, taught me so thank you thank you so much I really appreciate the opportunity and the support Um, Max must have got dropped off. Uh, we'll give Max the last word. But, Johanna, did you have any final comments? Johanna? Okay. Let's mute Johanna and unmute him. Johanna, you there? Okay, we hope the slave catchers have not kidnapped him. Max, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. Uh, final comments for the evening? Yes, sir. Um, as I said, check us out on Black Talk Radio News, um, blacktalkradionetwork.com, Friday, 4 p.m., and I'll talk about the Carolina Human Rights Conference and what we experienced there. Uh, please stay in uh, support of the movement that we've got going here with the New Abolitionist Movement. And although time is limited here on this program, uh, I'm definitely well, outspoken. So follow hey, we got me your on back. at Max Parkers. Yeah, Max, before you give your, your famous sign-off on the award-winning, and we can say that, award-winning uh, broadcast, a new abolitionist radio, uh, Johanna, go ahead with your final comments for Max signs us off. Right. Hey, I'll make it brief. I'll make it brief. I just wanted to uh, thank our guests for coming on, and uh, I, I really feel like it was a very revealing program tonight. This is why I love what we do, why I believe in the program, I believe in the network, I believe in the struggle. Uh, I feel like I'm in it with the right people, and we will be victorious with this. Uh, definitely check out the podcast archives uh, on Black Talk Radio Network. You can always find all of the programs and listen to that information and see how this work has built up over the years. I do it myself all the time. I go back and listen to podcasts from two or three years ago and see the same things and revisit stories and see was there any resolution to something that happened so many years ago. There was some movement recently in the Eric Garner case. So, you know, like there's things that are still happening. We're not just reporting on it and you forget about it. So thanks again to the guests. Peace to the abolitionists. Death to these oppressors, because they don't seem to want to stop oppressing. Word. Uh, I'm going to make it quick so we can get off of here. And uh, shout out to the Tando radio show, by the way, who came on before us. Make sure you check them out. Um, it's okay to be wrong. You don't need to defend your long-held but incorrect understandings. When it comes to this thing about mass incarceration and modern-day slavery and human trafficking, it's time for a change, and that starts with changing your mind. We've all been wrong until we weren't. Remember uh, a couple of these couple quotes. First, slaves lose everything in their chains, even the desire of escaping from them. Jean Jacques Rousseau, 1712. Also, they would not call it slavery, but some other name. Slavery has been fruitful in giving herself names, and it will call itself by yet another name. And you and I and all of us had better wait and see what new form this old monster will assume and what new skin this old snake will come forth. Frederick Douglass. Remember that abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 rise up
lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up.